You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Samuel Moffat was a missionary to Korea, and a young, energetic guy, great ministry, filled with the Spirit, people coming to know Jesus Christ, and his uh, seminary professor who had trained him back in the States wanted to see a little bit of the action, and so he sent him a letter saying, I'm going to make a trip to Asia. I would love to come and see you. And uh, if it'd be appropriate, I'd love to preach for your congregation. And uh, Samuel Moffat thought, oh, well, I'd sure love to see this professor, but I, I know him uh, not to be the greatest preacher in the world. And uh, so he hemmed and he hawed and he delayed, and, but uh, couldn't get away from it. This, the professor was insistent and finally he came and he was up there in front of the congregation and made his big uh, opening statement. He says, you know, in the history of the Christian tradition, there are really two major uh, methods. There's the inductive method and the deductive method. And uh, Moffat, who was interpreting a forum, kind of looked at him and then looked out over his Korean congregation and said, I just want to say how grateful I am to be with you this morning <laughs> and to tell you what Jesus Christ means to me. You know, it's easy to miss the simple things sometimes. We have a gravity, uh, there's a gravitational pull towards the complex. We think it's just more sophisticated. And we have to be very, very careful because sometimes it's the simplest thing that might be the truest thing. And after three sermons that Moses has given on the plains of Moab to the second generation of Israelites, he comes finally to the end. And he says, I don't want the, uh, all that I have said to, uh, to occlude the simplicity of what is happening here. I, I, I want you to, to, to notice that really at the heart of everything I've been telling you is this. It's simply that there is a living God. And that this living God wants to live life with you. It's that simple. It's as simple as Jesus Christ. And so let's look for that simplicity as we open up our Bible today to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Here we are coming to the end of Moses' messages, verses 11 through 20. You'll find that on page 163 if you're looking for it in the Pew Bible. And if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read uh, this together. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's word. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you. Nor is it too far away. It's not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and observing his commandments, decrees and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, 
but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. The simple thing not to miss here is an invitation to live life with the living God. And this involves... Two choices. This is what you would expect, by the way, with a covenant. Moses presents God's invitation in the form of a covenant. The book of Deuteronomy is assembled in the form of a covenant, an ancient Near Eastern treaty. It was not a form that God invented. It was a form that he adopted. It was an analogy that he would use to describe the kind of relationship he wants to have with you and with me. It's a covenant. In the ancient Near East, two kings, great kings, would come together and by mutual agreement, they would establish a relationship with one another, a treaty, a covenant. And it required each to choose. So there are two choices. And I want to look at these two choices with you this morning because they are the same two choices that God sets before us. The first one is this. God has chosen you. That's the choice that's most important. God has chosen you. And this is a thrill. If you just think about it for me, I just want you to meditate on that. God has chosen you. The kind of thrill that a young man or a young woman experiences in a dating relationship when they finally win the attention of the person that they love. I want to tell you about a Super Bowl game Possibly the greatest Super Bowl in history. Certainly the greatest Super Bowl in my life. It was the San Francisco 49ers and the Cincinnati Bengals in 1989. And I had a bet on the game. Uh, Because in 1989, I was in love. I'd fallen head over heels with a woman who really was much more serious about life than I was. She was headed to the mission field. Her name was Ann Hunsinger. Uh, She was studying Russian. She'd take these frequent trips over to the uh, Soviet Union, post-Soviet Union. And and, uh, she had ended up at the same Super Bowl party that I was at in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And as it turned out, she grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio and rooted for the Bengals. I grew up in San Francisco, California and rooted for the 49ers. And so... uh, the uh, trash talk between the two of us began to escalate until finally I said, we, we need to have a bet. We need a wager on this game. So I, I, thinking quickly on my feet, which I rarely do, I said, if, if the 49ers should win this game, you give up your plan to go to the Soviet Union this summer and you go with me to Wildwood, New Jersey, where I'm doing a leadership development project on the Jersey Shore. And she says, oh, feeling very confident about the Bengals, she said, you're on. And I thought, I can't believe she just said that. 
Well, you probably don't remember the game the way I remember the game. <laughs> but it came down to the final minutes. The Bengals were ahead 16 to 13. 49ers take the ball on their own eight yard line. Three minutes, 10 seconds left to go. Three minute drill. They go all the way down, marching the ball down the field. And in the final seconds of the game, my wife's life is destroyed. <laughs> Joe Montana Sr. throws a pass to John Taylor with 34 seconds left on the clock. In 2006, uh, the NFL said this is one of the best 10 Super Bowl games in history, and I have another opinion of that. It's the best game ever. And really, what you know, and, she, and, on, and I got to give it to credit to my wife. You know, she honored the commitment. She showed up that summer in Wildwood, New Jersey, and uh, we got married not long after that. But the thrill of this beautiful woman, and everybody wanted to have time with the great Ann Hunsinger. She was giving attention to me? you got to be kidding. That is the thrill of being chosen. The God of the universe has chosen you. He gives you his attention as if you were the only one in the room. This is the point that Moses has been trying to make all along with the Israelites. Again and again, the language of choice comes up throughout the book because it's covenant language. But, you know, it's always gone until this last uh, section that's doing the choosing. For you are a people holy to the Lord, Moses says. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the earth to be his people. And as, uh, he says again, the Lord has set his heart on you and chose you. And then again, he says, it's the Lord who has chosen you out of all the peoples on the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. He's chosen you. This is the thrill and the wonder of the psalmist who in Psalm 139 says, you have known me in my mother's womb. God, before I even knew myself, you knew me. You chose to know me, to love me. This is the thrill of John, one of the apostles, the followers of Jesus Christ in the upper room, remembers so clearly that Jesus said, I have chosen you. It's not you that have chosen me. And remember how John always refers to himself? Not as John, or not like I do, as me. He refers to himself as the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. He loves everybody, but it's such an impression it made on him. Same impression that Jesus makes on the Apostle Paul, who begins his letter to the uh, Ephesians by saying, He, God, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. You are chosen. Each and every one of us in this room is chosen. Make sure you hear that this morning. The second choice involved in a covenant is your choice. You are invited to choose life. See, we catch this in verse uh, 19. Moses says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. He said, you know, I have tried so hard to spell out the implications of this great invitation that God is giving you. I mean, I don't know how to make it any clearer, any simpler. So I've used rich poetry, and he has. He's described the curses that will fall. 
If Israel should turn away from their creator, the very origin of life, the ground of being, if you walk from this love, it will not go well. There are consequences. I've said it before you. Death. But I have invited you again and again as clearly as I can into God's love. It's life. Choose life. Choose life. Make the choice. Now, choose life is inviting enough that I think all of us want to choose life, right? I Googled choose life and I found all kinds of T-shirts and bumper stickers and, you know, everybody out there is trying to choose life. But the question isn't uh, whether or not you choose life. The question is how to choose life because there's a way of choosing that is not life-giving. And Moses has been very careful to lay before the Israelites the one choice that gives them life. And God lays that choice before you this morning as well. How do we choose life? Bruce Larson, former pastor of University, University Presbyterian Church, uh, used to tell a story about a family that he knew went on vacation to Florida. And uh, they were on the uh, east coast of Florida, father, mother, two kids, and uh, they were looking for a, a parking lot to pull in to access the beach, and they saw a sign that said, Naturist Convention. And they thought, oh, great, well... Uh, you know, we're from Seattle and uh, we love to hike and we love to fish and, you know, we, we get outdoors from time to time. So we're naturist, I guess. And so they, you know, they pulled right, not knowing that that, that means nudist. Uh, so they um, get out of the car and they go to the beach and all of a sudden there are five um, buck naked people riding by on the bike path. <laughs> and the kid looks at dad. He's dad. Those people are not wearing bike helmets. <laughs> So easy to miss the obvious, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we do because we've been trained to look for something. And this is Larson's point. These kids have been trained by their parents to look for the bike helmet. It's so important. And it, and it is. That's not my message this morning. But you and I have been trained to look for Life in the wrong place. The question is how? How do we choose life? See, we're trained to look for life by making choices. For us to choose life is to choose the right choices, to make the good choices. Right? I mean, that's the way we're raised. We tell our kids, if you want life, you gotta make good choices. You gotta choice about how, what to eat. You gotta choose the right food. You gotta choose the right playmates. You gotta choose the right homework assignment to do. You gotta choose the right school to go to. You gotta choose the right major so you can choose the right job, so you can choose the right neighborhood, so you can choose the right lifestyle. It's all about making good choices. And I wanna tell you, if you're living in that world, like I'm living in that world, it is not life-giving. That is a recipe for anxiety. Now, well, how is it that we are to choose life, according to Moses? Well, I want to just say there is but one choice. And we get at this one choice through three cues or clues that Moses gives. First of all, singularity. Second of all, ease. And finally, we're going to get a little help from the Apostle Paul. First, singularity. Notice in verse 11, Moses says, Surely this commandment, singular. It's one commandment. 
which ought to be a relief to you and me, and I bet it was to the Israelites because someone said that the Old Testament law has more than 600 commandments. And so there are these Israelites, the children of those of the Exodus. They're there. They're listening to Moses, these three sermons, and they've got their little notebooks open, you know. And they're, It's bad enough to get three points out of a Presbyterian sermon, but to get 600 commandments from Moses as he goes on and on, they're like, oh, I, I, I missed 459. What, what, what was that? You know, he kind of, his voice drops too often. He goes too fast. I can't get it all. Could you even remember 600 commandments, let alone obey them? And Moses comes to the end, he says, I have one commandment. It's singular. It's one choice that frames all the other choices. You could go from here and you could forget all three, you could forget all 600, but you cannot afford to forget this one. It's a singular choice when we choose life. Secondly, it's an easy choice. When you think about religion, you know, you, I don't know why you're here this morning or who brought you here. Um, but you may go, you know, George, I'm just not a very religious person. I like to kind of pick up of the songs and the worship from time to time. But don't look to me for a paragon of virtue. And, um, and you know, Moses begins to anticipate all these objections. He says, you're, you're going you're to hear this invitation and you're going to say, ah, I don't know, that's great for, you know, Tim Snow and Ray Moore. You know, they're great guys. They know all about the Bible, but I'm just me. Um, by the way, underneath every robe is just a Christian. It's important to remember that. My identity as a Christian is so much more important than my identity as a pastor. Just a guy wearing a George, uh, 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 curious George necktie under the robe, um, which you get to see if you come to our conversation later on. <laughs> but it's about something so easy that you can make this choice this morning. Moses says, don't say to yourself, well, if I could go up to heaven, you know, if I were really a great moral guy, you know, if I could reach the heights of piety, maybe I could make this choice. Don't say that. It's, it's easier than that. He says, well, if I were a great explorer and I could go probing the, 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 the surface of the planet, Go across the ocean, the depths, which always meant death for the, for the Israelites. They hated the water. They were shepherds. And to cross the sea to go find this life and bring it back, maybe. But I'm just kind of a homebody. And Moses says, don't say that. This life is for you and it is near. It's on your lips and it's in your heart. It's for you. Singularity, ease, and the third thing is a little bit of help from Paul. Would you flip over, if you still have your Bible in your lap, you might just flip over to Romans chapter 10 real quick, because it's kind of fun to see the connections in the Bible. Here the Apostle Paul, whose life is turned around by an encounter with none other than life itself and the person of Jesus Christ, he says, let me tell you what Moses was talking about. Here Paul interprets our passage. Paul could be your guide. He quotes Moses. And in in Romans 10, verse 6, listen to Paul. He says, but the righteousness that comes from faith, not the righteousness that comes from law. That's verse 5. He says, if you want that, you better make all the right choices in life. But if you want the righteousness that comes from faith, then you got to remember what Moses taught the Israelites. He says, the righteousness that comes from faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. And, And then Paul inserts this. He says, if you, if you were to ask that question, that would be to bring Christ down from heaven. Hold that thought, because that's weird. 
Then he, then he goes on. He says, or, or, or if you ask the question, who will descend into the abyss? And then Paul adds, well, that would be to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Meaning, what does Deuteronomy 30 say? It says, the word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. What is Paul saying? He's saying, it's not hard. And he substitute for the word what Moses didn't know, but now Paul knows. And you know that the word of God has been spoken most clearly and definitively in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you say, I would have to go up to heaven to find life, then you are ignoring the fact that life has come down already. You don't need to pull Christ down. He's already come. And if you say, I would have to cross the depths of the sea of death itself to find life, and you're ignoring the fact that life has come up from the dead. You'd be ignoring the incarnation and the resurrection, and that's, of course, what we have in Jesus Christ. And so, this is the word that is near to you this morning. And then this great verse, which is the same invitation Moses gives, verse 9, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will have life. You will have life. That's our choice. It's not a thousand little choices, a million choices over the course of a lifetime. It's one definitive decision about Jesus Christ. Choose him. He is the one that has made an infinite number of right choices on behalf of sinners who can barely ever make just one. And so I want to read to you the mediation of Christ, Thomas Torrance. I always tell you, I love a thin book, so uh, this is a really good one. And Torrance says this, God loves you so utterly and completely that he has given himself for you in Jesus Christ, his beloved son, and has thereby pledged his very being as God for your salvation. In Jesus Christ, God has actualized his unconditional love for you in your human nature in such a way, once for all, that he cannot go back upon it without undoing the incarnation and the cross and thereby denying himself. Jesus Christ died for you precisely because you're sinful and utterly unworthy of him and has thereby already made you his own before and apart from your ever believing in him. He's bound you to himself by his love in a way that he will never let you go. For even if you refuse him and damn yourself in hell, his love will never cease. And Torrent says, therefore, repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. I guess this is the point this morning. Choose life in the grace of a God who's chosen you. That's the invitation. Choose life in the grace of a God who has chosen you. And then finally, there's two implications. And the first one, they're both, I'm going I'm I'm to draw on the covenant image, imagery of marriage. And the first one's really the wedding. And the second one's really the relationship. The first is to say, I do. It's to come to this choice that Moses invites the Israelites to. To come to it yourself. Bruce Larson again reminds us that nobody gets married by saying, I agree. Or how true. (laughs) 
George Ann is just such a great gal. How true. Does that make us married? Marriage is a fine institution, and I think Anne would be the perfect spouse for you. I agree. No, that does not make you married. You and I are not married until, yes, there's intellectual, yes, there's emotional, but finally it's a decision of the will saying, I do. I pledge myself to the one who has pledged herself to me. That's covenant love. And then you're married. I've sat with a lot of anxious grooms over the years in that little room, and you watch the fidgeting, and you can see the sweat on the collar. What is it that makes the groom come out of that room? What gives him the courage? I'm not talking about the alcohol. That was, you know, There's something much more profound than that. He comes out of that room because of the love of his bride. Her beauty draws him out. He's got so many questions, and this is where the sweat comes in. He wonders, um, do I know enough of her? Of course he does. And of course he doesn't. And he wonders, do I understand how she'll change my life? Of course he doesn't. And of course she will. (laughs) And he asks himself, can I possibly anticipate everything that will happen? Richer or poor, sick and healthy? I mean, come on, this is huge. No, of course he can't. And of course there'll be challenges ahead in the road. But you know what draws him out of that room? It's her love for him. She has chosen him. And there isn't anything greater than being chosen in just that way. And I I know that some of us, we have a lot of questions about God that have not been answered. Of course you do. And and you, you, you wonder, if I were to give my life to Jesus Christ, that he would change my life in ways that I can't imagine. Of course he will. And you can't imagine the future of your life, whether you're with Jesus or without Jesus. It doesn't matter. What you need to do today is to choose life, to choose the grace of the one who's chosen you. To say simply, I hold everything that makes it hard to make this decision, all of my apprehension and unknowing side by side with everything that attracts me to the person of Jesus. No one has ever lived with more beauty and grace and integrity than him. He's come for you. Would you not give your life to him this morning? I apologize if this feels a little bit un-Presbyterian, but my trust is that there's someone here today who will mark November 20th as the day they said, I do, to Jesus Christ. It could be your day. And Moses does not let the moment pass. This is a valedictory sermon. This is his last chance to address the Israelites. And I want to say to you as though this were my last chance for you, there is no more important decision you can make. Choose life. Five times Moses says, today, today, today. What's wrong with today? Say, I do. The second implication is live in love. Because I know a lot of us have said, I do to Jesus. For me, it was many years ago. But I, I, I find I need to choose life again and again and again and again. Because I keep thinking that I find life by making good choices, and I, and I need to remember that I don't. I find life by living in the love, by living in the relationship. I actually make those decisions, all those choices that we all have to make in the light of that love. 
I'm riddled with anxiety. I confess to you before, I think I'm, I'm just really good at worry. And I, so I love Woody Allen. He says, civilization is at the crossroads. Do we not feel this today, by the way? Civilization's at the crossroads. One path leads to despair and hopelessness. The other leads to total destruction. <laughs> Let us pray for the wisdom to make the right choice. couple celebrated their 50th anniversary and young adult came up to them and said, well, you, you got to just tell me how this works. It's amazing. 50 years of marriage. And the, the, the husband said, well, you know, actually, it's not as complicated as it sounds. I said to her when we got married, I'm going to make all the big choices and you're going to make all the little choices. But after 50 years, it's amazing that we've never had to make a single big choice. <laughs> Perfect harmony. He's a wise man. And the truth is, you make this big choice about Jesus and then you live in that relationship of his love for you and your love for him and all the other choices. All the other choices take on a a totally different cast. And you could ask yourself two questions. When you feel anxious, ask yourself, uh, am I living in love right now? That'll call you back. Here's a second question. When you're faced with choices, a lot of choices, even if you're writing something, trying to think of what's the next paragraph and you're starting to feel anxious and you're getting stuck, ask yourself this. What would love do? What would love do? Well, choose life. Moses says, God says to us, choose to live in the grace of the God who's chosen you. It is so simple, but that's life, isn't it? What a great week to meditate on. This Thanksgiving week is my favorite holiday, Thanksgiving. Yes, there's a time of trial in, in America, in Seattle. Yes, we're going through some hard times. Many of us very personal, troubling things. But we have an opportunity to be grateful nevertheless because of the invitation Jesus has given us to life. And I thought I would just close by reading some words that give you a little flavor of the spirit of those early settlers who came knowing very well that God had called them into his covenant love. I'm going to read to you uh, from John Winthrop, a personal correspondence he wrote to his wife. Now, John Winthrop was not there in 1620, that first fall in September when the pilgrims arrived off Cape Cod. And they had that horrible first winter in which half of the 110 uh, died of uh, disease and hunger and cold. But you could see what sustained them when you listen to this man uh, who would come a decade later and be governor of the Mass Bay Colony for 12 years. Such is the folly and misery of man as he's easily brought to condemn the true good he enjoys and to neglect the best things which he holds sometimes only in hope. Oh, the riches of Christ. Oh, the sweetness of the word of grace. It ravishes my soul in the thought hereof. So as when I apprehend but a glimpse of the dignity and the felicity of a Christian, I can hardly persuade my heart to hope for so great happiness. Remember, he's writing to his wife. Let men talk what they will of riches, honors, pleasures, etc., Let us have Christ crucified and let them take all besides. For indeed, he who hath Christ hath all things with him, for he enjoyeth an all sufficiency, which makes him abundantly rich in poverty, honorable in the lowest abasements, full of joy and consolation 
in the sharpest afflictions, living in death and possessing eternity in the veil of misery. Therefore, we bless God for his free and infinite mercy in bestowing Christ upon us. Let us entertain and love him with our whole hearts. Let us trust in him and cleave to him with denial of ourselves and all things besides and account our portion the best in the world. That so being strengthened and comforted in his love, we may put forth ourselves to improve our life and means to do him service. There are very few hours left of this day of our labor. Then comes the night. When we shall take our rest in the morning, we shall awake unto glory and immortality. When we shall have no more work to do, no more pains or griefs to endure, no more care, fear, want, reproach, or infirmity. No more sin, corruption, or temptation. Do you pray with me? We're thankful people. Oh, God. You have come to us in the Son of God, taken on flesh, Jesus Christ, to offer a faithful, obedient life for those who haven't known how to live it. And you've sent forth, you've poured forth your Holy Spirit that all that is Jesus might be ours, even in our own experience today. So kindle us with thanksgiving. God, we pause to pray this morning to leave space for those who have heard you inviting them to choose life afresh this morning. If any among us have heard a voice other than my own, may they know that it is you, a loving father, inviting a daughter or son home in your love. May they mark this day, opening themselves up to you to say, I pledge myself to you in faith knowing that you have given your life for me. And so today, become a Christian and lay hold of life itself and the promise of Jesus Christ. Lord, if anybody makes that decision, give them the courage to share that with somebody and perhaps to come forward after the service and to pray with someone and to seek counsel as to how to grow in that new relationship of love. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.